This morning's passage is quite a scene. A lot to talk about. But there's really just one thing I want you to walk away from this morning. One thing I want to hammer home and I want you to see in this passage, and that is this, the passion of Jesus. Or more specifically, as your sermon title says, the passions of Jesus. I want you to see the passion of Jesus in three ways, in three truths. And the first one is this. Jesus, the Son, is passionate for His Father. Jesus, the Son, is passionate for His Father. This passage starts off tame enough. It's a familiar scene to many of us, many of us who have grown up in the church, even those of us who long walked away from the church. These crowds of people that are increasingly surrounding Jesus have, have long followed him and they have long ago fallen in love with him. And, and now as he enters towards Jerusalem, they are in their own ancient way rolling out the red carpet for their Messiah. That's what the palm branches represent. This place of honor, this position of praise and honor. Now these people don't know exactly what awaits Jesus or what awaits them and not all that stand on the street side and wave pole branches probably know what's going on or even know who this man is. They're just getting caught up in the euphoria of, of praise and of adoration. But make no mistake, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus understood. And Jesus is making sure through his actions that it is declared here. And Mark makes sure that his readers are reminded of it. Again, we see these details in, in Mark's account. Mark tells us that he came towards Jerusalem through the Mount of Olives. In direct fulfillment to Zechariah 14.4, where it speaks of the coming of the Lord, coming by way of the Mount of Olives, so Jesus walks in that path. In direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9, which says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus instructs his disciples to make this happen. Unless you think that these are obscure things that that this preacher is just pulling out of the air. Folks, these Jews who are waving palm branches, these Jews who hear Mark's account, they knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. It's not like us in the modern church. These are clear indicators of who this man is, of what he came to do. Jesus, in full fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, is proclaiming that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of David, that he is the one long promised. 
You see, the triumphal entry, as it is known as we've come to call it, is Jesus declaring what He has come to do. Not only that, but it it reminds us and it declares to us again that Jesus is willingly walking straight into a hornet's nest. The hornet's nest that is Jerusalem. The opposition and the fate that He knows awaits Him there. And why is He doing this? Why would Jesus do this? Well, surely He should circle the countryside a bit more, a few more healings, a bit more teaching. But no, He's doing this because He has a passion for His Father. He's doing this in obedience to the will of the Father. You see, this is Jesus' passion on display. But it's not in just those opening verses, in that opening calm and beautiful scene. But it's in this next scene. The scene quickly changes, right? The, the meek and mild Jesus, humble, sitting on the donkey, on the colt, suddenly becomes this warrior in a temple, seemingly casting out his foes and, oh yeah, oh yeah on the way, calling out a fig tree. Now the idea of religious zeal is a hot topic in our culture, is it not? I mean, religious zeal is something that is on so many minds, whether you're religious or not. Seems that every week there's a new act of terror or an act of terror that has been squelched by the authorities. We come to this passage and for some, this is, this Jesus, is, his actions are in some way comparable to some of the religious violence we see, Right? I mean, this is a Jesus that maybe for some of us makes us a little bit comfortable, uncomfortable. But what I want you to see this morning is that this is not religious zeal for the sake of religious zeal. This is passion, passion for the Father. It's the most purest of love. It's the most righteous of zeal resting upon that which is true, the knowledge of God the Father, the one true God. Because the Bible makes it clear that religious zeal is not enough, right? This is one of the Apostle Paul's criticism of the Jews as he speaks to them in Romans chapter 10. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify that they are zealous for God But their zeal is not based upon knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Misplaced zeal, being passionate about the wrong things, that's what the Apostle Paul saw among his own people, and that's what we see in our world today. It broke Paul's heart. It should break our heart 
as well. But really, what's happening here with Jesus? What is Jesus trying to, to say? What is this passion that is being displayed in the temple displaying? Is Jesus just fought, flying off the handle? Is, has the pressure of what awaits him in Jerusalem just caused him to lose control? It's, it's too much? If you turn back in our text and look for a moment with me at verse 11, Jesus had entered Jerusalem triumphantly. And what does he do at the end of the day? Verse 11, he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. You see, Jesus comes early to the temple. He comes specifically to the temple and he sees what's going on there. Maybe business had closed for the day. So there's just tables and the mess of pigeon poop and whatever else was in the courts. But Jesus sees it and goes home. I'll deal with that later. See, this Jesus is not flying off the handle. He's not losing his cool. This is calculated passion for the Father and for his will. And let me just put a finer point on this and divide his passion for the Father into two areas. Jesus is passionate for the Father's will. Specifically, his will I mean, this is Jesus' life. Jesus was all about the Father. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what motivated Jesus to ride through the gates of Jerusalem that morning. And that's what motivates Jesus' display of righteous anger in the temple the very next day. And Mark sandwiches this account of the cleansing of the temple with this bizarre story of a fig tree. Of Jesus lashing out at a fig tree. Wasn't even the season for figs. Well, it's no coincidence that it was a fig tree. I mean, fig trees were all over the place in that region, but fig trees had a deeper significance in the Jewish mindset. The destruction of figs was a picture of divine judgment. We see in Isaiah 2 verse 12, the prophet speaking of Israel writes, I will ruin her vines and her fig trees. Those symbols of goodness and sweetness and prosperity will be destroyed by the judgment of God. And so as Jesus comes walking with his disciples, he sees these figs, he speaks out against them. We'll look at next week that they die, the fig tree dies. And Jesus is showing his disciples, just like the prophets of old, that judgment is coming. Judgment on Israel is coming. You see, the fig tree is Israel. It gives the appearance of having fruit from afar, but upon closer examination, there's nothing there. 
Jesus had already rebuked the Pharisees. He had already rebuked the teachers of the law on this very thing. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They had lost their zeal for the Lord. They had all kinds of religious zeal, but their zeal for the Lord and the glory of the Father and the will of the Father was trumped by their meaningless zeal. And as a result, God is coming in judgment upon His people, Israel. And while that judgment is going to come in time and space, in history, in A.D. 70, as Jerusalem is leveled by invaders, Jesus is saying it's coming, a precursor, a sign of that is coming tomorrow in the temple because I, the final prophet, I'm going to walk in there And I'm going to fulfill Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Do you see what the the picture he's painting for his disciples? This is the divine will of the Father. Jesus is the new Israel, the faithful one who walked with God as Israel could not, who will bless the nations in a way Israel could not. Jesus is the new temple. And the old will be no more. Jesus is demonstrating his passion for the Father, but his passion for the will of the Father. That's the first sub-point under this first point. The second is this. Jesus' passion for the Father extends to the Father's name. To the Father's name. Not just his will and what God is doing as he works this story of redemption in his people, but his honor. His name, Jesus comes to the temple and what does he see? An absolute mockery. Here is the place where the glory of the Lord dwelt. The house of God who is a consuming fire and where's that holiness? Where's that majesty? Where are those things that are to be reflections of God's holy temple? So fueled by his passion for the Father's name, Jesus violently overturns their businesses. My house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus' passion was for the Father's name, for the Father's honor. That's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus the Son is passionate for His Father, for the Father's will, for the Father's honor and name. But there's a second truth I want you to see as well. Jesus, the Messiah, is passionate for his people. Jesus, the Messiah, is passionate for his people. You see, these actions, particularly those in the temple, don't don't just reveal his passion for the Father, but for his people. Specifically, those people that Jesus has always been concerned about the marginalized, the poor, 
the needy, the alien. You see, after telling us broadly in verse 15 that Jesus drives out those who are buying and selling, then Mark tells us some specifics. Note the first specific. He overturned the tables of the money changers. The money changers. Now, being in a foreign land can be unsettling. Not so much Canada. Not so much other places that use the same currency as us, but being in a foreign land where you're unfamiliar with the currency and maybe you haven't memorized all the monetary values of that currency. And so when you purchase something, you're kind of fumbling for, am I giving you the amount that, that you need or are you giving me the amount that I deserve back? It can be an unsettling and uncomfortable experience that I know many of you in this room have experienced on some level and at some instance. You see, the situation in the temple at this time would have been very similar because in these days, in ancient days, only Jewish coin was accepted to pay the temple tax that was required in Exodus 30. And so those who came with anything different had to exchange their coin into Jewish coin in order to worship. And as Pentecost illustrates for us, we studied the book of Acts not too long ago, people from all over the region would come in order to worship the one true God. There would have been Greeks, there would have been Egyptians, there would have been many in need of this service and what an opportunity for the shrewd businessman to make a little extra profit on the naive foreigner in the temple. And Jesus would have no part of it. Robbers, he says, as he turns their profits in the air. Those who come to worship the Lord should not have to worry about being swindled. Especially those who are not already, who are already at a disadvantage, being in a foreign land. The money changers. But then there's another group of people that Mark tells us about, about those selling doves. I want you to see this is significant because of who this points out for us. See, the scriptures teach that doves were the offering for those who did not have enough money for cattle or for sheep. Leviticus 12.8 reads, if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. So Jesus is not just concerned about that alien who is in a foreign land unsettled and unsure. He's concerned about these poor people struggling just to get sacrifices in order to worship. And Jesus' identification with the poor is nothing new, but something that we've looked at and something that has characterized his whole life from the very beginning. I mean, Luke tells us, that when his parents brought him to the temple, what did they bring as a sacrifice? What social class were they in? They brought two doves because they couldn't afford anything else. From his own family to the friends 
that he kept. Jesus' passion for the poor, for the needy, is clear. See, this is a truth for us today, no doubt. It's a reminder of our Savior's heart. And if His desire to meet the broken where they were, to defend the broken in the ways they needed to be defended. As you know, as we all know, that can be difficult to figure out in our society, in the church. How do we do that as a church? How do we reflect the heart of Christ to the alien and to the poor? May God give us wisdom. James 1 says, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, there's one final truth that I want to quickly look at the last truth from our text this morning, and it's this, the passion of Jesus, the lamb sent him to the cross. We've looked at the passion of Jesus, the son for his father, the passion of Jesus, the Messiah for his people, for those particularly who are poor and needy and alien and outcast. And now we are reminded through this pa- that passage that the passion of Jesus, the lamb sends him to the cross. We read in verse 18, all the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was amazed at his teaching. It's this disruption in the temple, this passionate display for the father's will and for his own people that in many ways serves as one of the the catalysts to end Jesus's life this incensed them. And yet this whole picture and this whole scene and the underlying heart behind it is the gospel for us. This is the gospel. Driven by a passion for his father, driven by a passion for his people, he voluntarily lays down his life on our behalf. And Jesus is more than just concerned that people go into the temple courts without being swindled and without being disturbed. Jesus wants to take us beyond into the very holy of holies, into the presence of God through his blood, through his sacrifice. And so Mark can't help but tell us where this is all headed. In verse 18, yeah, they're going to destroy him. But it's the cross that brings the actions of our text together. Jesus' passion for the Father is what Israel should have been pursuing. And as a result, Israel was visited by the justice of the Almighty. And yet, even in that justice, we see the mercy of Christ And so it's at the cross where justice and mercy perfectly meet. Brothers and sisters, that's why I want you to leave here with nothing in your minds except the passion of your 
Savior. Because Jesus' passion extends to a people who are passionless. To a people like you and I who are just as self-absorbed and distracted as those in the temple sometimes. And yet this text and this gospel is not about your passion for Jesus. It's about his passion for you, his passion for the Father, and that passion that drove him to the cross. Rejoice in that. Believe in that. Let that rule you. It's your only hope. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this scene of our Savior. A scene that, was, that is so far from passive, but is active and, and passionate. And, and why? Because of his love for you, because of your will for him, because of the plan of redemption that would send him to a cross in order that we might be saved. Oh, Father, may we hide in that. And yes, may that passion of Jesus work in us. Love and devotion for such a Savior, for such a salvation. Holy Spirit, take these words, take this, your word, and apply it to your people for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.